And he was kneeling in repenting and saying, God, I need you in my life. Miracle. I want to tell you, you are in the middle right now of miracle. And the reason why you're right in the middle of a miracle is because we have just worshipped the King of Kings. True? We've just exalted him. The Holy Spirit is here. True? And the Holy Spirit is here and he is at work. And the Word of God is about to be opened. And I want to tell you, when, when the Word of God is opened and the Holy Spirit is active, there is a miracle that will happen in your life and in mind. Do you believe it? This is why we're here. Do you realize you're not here just to get out of the beautiful Wellington weather? Right? Do you realize that you're here because you want to know what it is to live as a follower of Jesus Christ? You're someone, you've joined your heart and your mind with the person sitting next to you and saying, we're here, we're leaning in, as, as Jenny said, we're leaning in to all that God has for us as a people. And you're part of a mission. And the mission is that not only would you be sitting here hearing from God, encouraging one another, doing something to surrender your life more to Christ, you are here because on your heart there are at least three other people who at the moment are far from God that you are desperate to see become a follower of Jesus Christ. You might say, that's news to me. Great, now you know. Because God gave us this audacious vision about three and a half years ago to reach four and a half thousand people for Christ. And that meant that if we did the maths, it was about three people for every person who would come to the street, who would call the street home. I wonder how you're getting on. I wonder how that's going. I wonder how it's going with the people who are in your orbit, who are in your world that you are praying for, that as you find that you have opportunities to share Jesus with them, here's what happens. As they surrender their life to Christ, all of a sudden they have a new identity a follower of Jesus Christ. They're known as a daughter and a son of God. And that new identity gives them a new security because there's a security that we can have in this world that we are one with Jesus Christ. You know, in the Old Testament, identity and security was found in a wall. And the book of Nehemiah is about building the walls. And it's about building a wall around a city which didn't have a very strong identity at that point and certainly didn't have security. And we've been tracking our way through the book of Nehemiah and we're learning leadership lessons. Lessons. We're learning leadership lessons. It's really like Facebook. (laughs) We'll get there. I must be getting the UK kind of thing going there. Ooh! (laughs) I just want to say, all good things come from the other side. (laughs) And you know what? As, as we're learning our leadership lessons, we can learn about them, and they are brilliant for those of us who are in business, those of us who are running our own companies, those of us who are in education, those of us who are in any sort of uh, op- place where we are leading people. I know some of you sitting in this room, you have incredible leadership responsibilities out in your world. But we also have leadership responsibilities right here. Some of you are leading life groups. Some of you are leading kids' ministry. Some of you are leading others. You're discipling another person. You're leading them. I want to tell you, every single one of you is leading yourself. And as you lead yourself and as you lead others and as you influence people and you move them from where they are to where they need to be, or you move yourself from where you are to where you need to be, as you do that, it's like you're building the walls of your life and you're building the identity and the security that you have, which comes only in Jesus Christ. There's Nehemiah in a nutshell. 
And as we've gone through this book, we've learnt that firstly we do lead ourselves, and to lead ourselves we need to pray and we need to prepare. We learnt that we lead others, chapter 2, with vision, and we turn vision into reality. There's that beautiful sense, you know, someone thinks he's a leader and, and he's got a vision, but nobody's following him, he's just dreaming. And so the leadership lesson of chapter 2 was how do you turn vision into reality? Chapter 3 and 4 was about how do you lead when you're under attack? How do you build as well as battle? Because when it comes to leadership, there are enemies, there are people who do not like what it is that you are leading into. And so you learn how to not only build the wall of your life, but you learn how to battle against those who are actually fighting against you. And then we learned last week, how do you lead through conflict? This idea that that not only is the, the attack come from without, it can also come from trouble in the camp. And in that chapter, there are these overtones of if someone is living selfishly, there's going to be trouble. But if we're living generously then there's that sense of community and we actually do this together. Well, we get to chapter 6 and there's this final line of attack and it's how to lead when things get personal. Because chapter 6 is about personal attack. Let's read together. It'll come up on the screens if you've got your Bible or an app. It's Nehemiah chapter 6, starting at verse 1. When the word came to Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab and the rest of the enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it. The wall's pretty well built. Though up to that time I'd not set, in, in, I'd not set doors in the gates, Sam Ballot and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together with one of the villages, in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messages to them with this reply. I am carry on and carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it to go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message and each time I gave them the same answer. I want to tell you this morning that I believe the Holy Spirit wants to speak deeply into your heart to encourage you in your leadership. And as we go through this, you'll, you'll find there are a number of strategies or schemes that the enemy will use to personally attack you. And here's the first one. Let's try and destroy the leader. It's an interesting invitation, is it? Come, come, let's meet together on the plain of Ono. It, it sounds all very friendly, doesn't it? It's like here's this, you know, Sam Ballot and Tobiah and Geshem. They've been at us. They've been at the people. They've been critical. They've done all sorts of things in the previous chapters. And this is almost like that olive leaf. You know, it's like, oh, look, come on, come and have a cup of tea. You know, let, let, let's go down to a village on the plain of Ono. But actually, it's not a friendly appeal. Because there are two words in there which are very key. In, verse, in chapter 2, verse 2, sorry, it says, come, let us meet together. But Nehemiah says, but there's a different agenda going on here. and He's aware of it. You see, there's these repeated invitations that can weaken the resolve because not only did he, he refuse once, he refused twice, three, four times. There was this constant, oh, come on, look, it's all okay. Here's the olive branch. When you come down to this village, we're just going to have a meeting. We're just going to have a conversation. We're just going to chat. It'll be okay. It won't hurt. It won't matter. It won't destroy you. You can hear the allure in the invitation, and isn't it true that temptation does the same thing? 
And in fact, in James chapter 1, verse 13, 15, it says, Remember when you're being tempted, don't say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. And these desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. You are destroyed by sin. Yeah, as you're leading, one of the ways that you can be destroyed is you are invited onto the plane of Ono, which is where you shouldn't be. And you end up doing what you shouldn't do. And sin destroys you. I wonder if today some of us are withstanding the repeated invitations to sin. I wonder if today some of us have actually said, you know, it's, it's actually easier to say yes. It's easier to go there. It's easier. I find you know, there's just this relentlessness. It's like temptation doesn't stop. Can anybody put your hand up if you found temptation stops? I don't see that hand. It doesn't, does it? And whenever you think, oh, look, I've said no, that's all good. Guess what? They come back again with another invitation. And, and when you say, oh, no, I'm not going there. I'm not going to think that thought. I'm not going to go to that place. I'm not going to do that thing. I'm not going to look at that thing. I'm not going to drink that stuff, whatever it might be. And you think, yeah, I've got this nailed. And then the next day, they oh, look, come on. It'll be fine. Come down to the plane of oh no. I wonder whether God was just having had a sense of humor when they called it oh no. Yeah. Come on down to the plane. Oh, no. So you know what? Whenever you get invited to somewhere which sounds like, oh no, say, oh no, and don't go to, oh no. That's the message of this one. Why otherwise compromise leads to destruction? I wonder how many of us are actually invited out of what we're supposed to be doing and go to a place where we're never supposed to be and we end up being destroyed. You know, sin's agenda is to destroy you. Stay on track. Stay on track. Look at Nehemiah's words. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Stay focused. What is it that God has called you to do? What is it that your leadership responsibility requires you to do? And as you have an invitation to do something else, yeah, this was written Two and a half thousand years because before Jim Collins came up with good is the enemy of great. And Nehemiah said, you know what? I'm not going to get invited on to what might even seem good. I'm going to go for what's great, which is what God has for me. What's your call? Stick with it. The enemy will try to destroy you. Stay on track. Nehemiah chapter 6 verse 5. Then the fifth time. Note, he's keeping on going. Sambalat has not given up. He sent his aid to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unwritten, unsealed letter in which was written. It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it is true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you're building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you're about to become their king and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now, this report will get back to the king. So come, let us meet together. (laughs) Can you remember in the schoolyard years and years ago, or a few years ago, or right now, 
when there is that kind of catty stuff going on and you know, you've, somebody comes up to you and they says, you know what, I've heard that you tell fibs and Sally says it's true. You remember it? Remember those things where all of a sudden you find a witness. You know, someone to say, I'm backing up what you say. It might not be true. It might be true. It doesn't matter. She said it's true. Therefore, you're in trouble. Geshem says it's true. But actually, this is serious. Nehemiah realizes what's going on here. The the other three accusations that they can put against him, they said, we are going to disqualify you because one, you're plotting to revolt, you're planning to become king, and you're appointing prophets to proclaim that, that you are the king. And we've sent this little letter to you in an unsealed envelope. Let me tell you exactly what's going on here. We are starting a systematic campaign of gossip and slander against you. And we're going to make sure everybody hears about it. Because it's unsealed, which means everybody gets to see it. Here's the threat. This is going to affect your public support, Nehemiah. You've received this letter. You know that anybody who's touched it has has seen it. And because it's unsealed, it's not confidential. And therefore, people will talk. And as people talk, it's going to affect your public support because people, well, they didn't realize that you were thinking you were going to become the king. And they didn't think that you were plotting to revolt. Why would you do that? And now it's all out there. And, and not only that, this is going to, you're going to fear for your reputation, Nehemiah, because you see, when the king of Persia hears about it, at a minimum, he will stop you doing the work. Most likely, he will take your head off. Unsealed letter. Gossip, slander. But they're so friendly, so versatile, oh, so calm. Let us meet together. Let's, let's have that little conversation on the valley of, oh, no. You know, this technique is so well used throughout history, isn't it? Maybe you've experienced it. They threaten you with slander and intimidate you, make you fear for your reputation, make you fear for your future, and then come alongside and say, but I'll help. You can trust me. Wow. I love Nehemiah's response. Here it is, verse 8. I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You're just making it up out of your head. Isn't that brilliant? <laughs> I mean, how, how many here, and some of you I know, you've got this sort of situation going on right now, and you're thinking about, could you imagine walking into that office? Could you imagine going there? Could you imagine writing that letter and going, you know what? Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are making it all up in your own head. No, 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 no. But we don't, do we? That messes with our head. Warren Worsby put it this way. He said, Christian leaders must know how to handle false accusations, vicious letters, unfounded press reports and gossip. Otherwise, these devilish weapons will so upset them that they will lose their perspective and spend so much time defending themselves that they will neglect their work. Nehemiah didn't make that mistake. He simply denied the reports, prayed to God for strength, and went back to work. 
He knew his character was such that no honest person would believe the false reports. If we take care of our character, we can trust God to take care of our reputation. You know, I've seen too many people fight the battles that they don't need to fight and lose the battle that they were called to fight. Nehemiah said in verse 9, they are all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed now, strengthen my hands. You know, when the, when the agenda of the enemy is to disqualify the leader, to disqualify the leader by, by slander, by rumor, by, by getting them involved in the battle they never need to fight and taking them off the battle they do need to, to fight. Not only do you stay on track, but secondly, you pray, strengthen my hands. It's interesting that Nehemiah made that one statement. You know what? You're making it up. It's all out of your head. He never went on a campaign to try and write the, write the errors. He said, I'm just telling you how it is, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to get back to what God's called me to do. And here's the things, when he strengthens his hands, this is what it means. To strengthen in this passage here means this. Make them strong, repair them, hold them, and encourage them. And what Nehemiah is saying, saying, Lord, would you make my life strong? In other words, would you, Lord, shape my character so I can run the race you've marked out for me? I want to tell you, if your character is not up to scratch, you've got a problem. Make my life strong, Lord. Help me to become a total follower of Jesus Christ. What is it in my life which is not where you want it to be? Lord, would you help me surrender my life to you? As I open your word, here's this moment. As you open the word and the Holy Spirit convicts, you realize he will give you the strength to become the person God has created you to be. Repair my life when it gets tough and I feel like I'm going to crack. None of this is easy. But when you feel under the pump, when you feel under pressure, you get on your knees and you lift your hands out and say, God, would you strengthen my hands? Because I feel like I'm about to fall apart. Would you strengthen my hands? And a couple of weeks ago, there was that beautiful picture of of people when they're under attack, blow the trumpet and others would come around and help them. I want to tell you, you can't do it alone. Find that safe place. Thirdly, hold my life when I sense too acutely my own weaknesses. And Lord, would you cause me to know that I am secure in your arms? There's a wall that has been built around me. It's a wall of identity and it's a wall of security. God, in these moments where it's just tough and I know my weaknesses and I know I'm not perfect and I know I don't always get it right, but I know that you've called me and I know that I have an identity which is a child of yours and I know that you're holding me secure. God, would you give me strength? And Lord, would you put courage in my heart? Courage when I need it the most. Courage to have those conversations. Courage to make that move. Courage to take that risk. Courage to help me put it all on the line for you, Lord. Father, I'm being slandered. They're trying to take me out by disqualifying me. Lord, would you strengthen 
my hands? Would you make my life strong? Would you repair my life? Would you hold my life? And would you give me courage to keep going? To keep going. It doesn't stop there either. Verse 10. One day, I went to the house of Shemaniah, son of Deliah, the son of Medabatabel, and I think I've got those completely wrong, but anyway, who was shut up in his home. He said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night, they are coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run away or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him, but he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He would have been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this, and then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, my God, because of all they have done. Remember also the prophet Noadiah, how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. So the war was completed on the 25th of Elu in 52 days. Nehemiah got another come invitation. I was come down to the valley of Ono. And that's a little close to home. And in fact, this one feels really quite pastoral, doesn't it? Now, this is a priest. Nehemiah, I know you really are under the pump at the moment. I know you've got people, they're trying to, kill, they're trying to take you out. They're trying to kill you. They're trying to discredit you and disqualify you. And that, 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 oh, look, it must be so tough for you. Nehemiah, why don't you come with me into the temple? Because people are trying to kill you. Doesn't that sound safe? Doesn't that sound, wow, that, whew, if there's one place I know it would be safe, surely it would be in the temple. But you know how you have those little niggles? You know that statement, if it seems too good to be true, it's because it's too good to be true? This particular priest was shut in at home. That's a weird saying. What does that mean? Well, it probably means he was sick, or maybe he was ceremonially unclean at the moment, or... Maybe he was completely incapacitated and he couldn't actually get out. If he's shut in at home, he can't move. And so, well, this is weird. How can he who is shut in at home meet me at the temple? There's something not quite right here. And Nehemiah had to discern what is true. It's interesting, Spurgeon said this. He said, discernment is not simply a matter of telling the difference between right and wrong. Rather, it's the difference between right and almost right. And Nehemiah discerned. And he knew God's word. And he knew that according to the Old Testament law, the temple was not the place for him to be. That was the place for priests. And Nehemiah was not a priest. Nor did he fit the conditions for asylum. It was true that people, if they were fearful for their life because they'd accidentally done something to someone and someone had lost their life, they could run to the temple and they could grab a hold of the altar and it was a place of asylum. And Nehemiah knew that he didn't qualify for that kind of asylum. 
And he knew, therefore, if he stepped into that room, he would have earned a bad name and would have been discredited just like that. And people would have looked at him and said, you've overstepped your mark. Yeah, King Uzziah did it years earlier. He was a king of Israel who got proud and his pride led to his downfall and he went to where he wasn't supposed to be and he ended up with leprosy. You see, it never goes well for you if you're in a place where you're not supposed to be. And Nehemiah realized that God hadn't sent this man. And he writes it in the story. He says, actually, I realized that um, he'd been hired to prophesy against me. That was deeply personal, isn't it? You know, if the words of a person don't line up with the truth of God's word, run. Isaiah 8 verse 20 says this, Look to God's instructions and teachings. People who contradict his word are completely in the dark. I love the black and whiteness of that. Oh, look, he, yeah, he's a lovely person. He's, you know, he's just you know, a little off. If you can contradict God's word, you are completely in the dark. Rum. I wonder what you'd do. I wonder what I'd do, actually. Because Nehemiah is under incredible pressure. He's fearing for his life. He's wondering how many people actually do trust his leadership. He's aware of this letter floating around out there. He's aware of of the potential that the king of Persia may have even heard at this point. He's wondering who's on his side and who's not on his side. He's wondering about the enemy. And I, I would bet that the enemy, no matter how large the enemy actually was, I bet the enemy felt incredibly large in his mind even though the wall is nearly finished. And I bet he's feeling intimidated. You see, intimidation creates a leadership pressure that can lead to a leader's false step. And Nehemiah here was being invited to take a false step to go where he shouldn't have gone, to do what he shouldn't have done, to be who he shouldn't have been. You know, leaders do make these false steps rash actions, they lash out, they want to get even, they sometimes want to stomp their feet and demand truth. They, and as they do those things, sadly, they find that these actions can discredit their leadership. And Nehemiah's posture remains the same. He keeps focused on his call and his character and the rest he entrusts to God. I love it. He says there right at the end of this little section, verse 14, he says, Lord, remember them. You know what he's saying there? He's saying, "I, I want, Lord, you to take this. I'm under the pump. They're trying to destroy me. They're trying to disqualify me. They're trying to discredit me. I can't win that argument. But I know what I can do, and that's to keep building the wall. So, Lord, remember them. Lord, they're your problem. Lord, I'll give them to you. You do what you want. I know what I'd like you to do, Lord, but, Lord, you do what you want. And he keeps going. In verse 16, 
said this, When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. And I want to tell you, there is the answer to all of the personal attacks. It's to finish the job that he was called to do. When they, the enemies around, saw the completion of the war, guess what? They lost their confidence. They realized that this work had been done with the help of the Lord. They realized that that there was somebody far greater than Nehemiah involved with this. It was the creator of heaven and earth. I want to tell you right here, right now, you're involved in a leadership challenge. And I want to talk specifically about the leadership challenge you have here is East. Because you have an entire peninsula to reach with the gospel. And there are people who are a heartbeat away from you, who currently have no identity and no security and no safe eternity. And the enemy will do everything he possibly can to destroy you, to disqualify you, to discredit you, and to intimidate you into pulling back from that call, which is to help people become total followers of Jesus Christ. And you know how you battle it? You keep sharing. You keep building the wall. You keep praying. You keep saying, I'm setting my sights on the proclamation of the gospel in my world. I'll live it. And my character will testify to it. I'll proclaim it. Every opportunity I get, I will share my faith with others. I'll invite people to hear it because nothing else matters on the other side of eternity. I'm going to keep doing what it is God has called me to do. Here's how you defeat the enemy. You finish the job. You don't defeat the enemy by arguing the point, by Undisqualifying yourself or recrediting yourself. You defeat the enemy by finishing the job and then they lose confidence. You, know, you live for God's glory in your personal world, your calling, your career, and your business. You build your family. If some of you, you're under attack in your families and you're going, how do we do this? And there's so much going on. Keep building your family. You grow your marriage. You build Christ-likeness in your life. You know, there is a battle going on against you being more like Jesus Christ. And the enemy will do everything he can to possibly keep you away from doing that. I want to tell you, don't fight those fights. Keep building your life to become like Jesus Christ. Make the leadership calls for the benefit of your company, the institution, or the church, and see them through to completion. Yeah, the enemy loves it when there is a trail of abandoned visions and dreams and ideas and projects. And I want to tell you, you want to do what Jesus did. You see, Jesus Christ, you look at that list. When Jesus Christ first came to this world, what happened? Through the, through the um, maniac leadership of a guy called Herod, Jesus was, they tried to destroy him. As Jesus started his ministry, he went out into the desert and the devil tempted him and tried to disqualify him from his ministry. And as Jesus then kept going, was heading towards the cross, they would do everything he can. You say you're the king? 
No, we have no king but Caesar. Let's discredit Jesus Christ to become who he's not supposed to be. And let's intimidate him in the Garden of Gethsemane to say, how dare you think that you can take this cup? And he said, Father, if there is no other way except this cup, I will drink it. And I want to tell you, when Jesus hung on that cross, he completed the works. He said, it is finished. Finish. And then we can all relax. You know those horrible thriller movies that some people like watching? And how, and like, yeah, the, the heroine and there's the villain and it's like there's just this awful thing that goes on for like an hour and 23 minutes and then eventually gets to the point where she's probably you know, got cuts and bruises but she's beaten him and he's, he's done away with and, it's like that. and then that awful music starts. And you know, you're sitting there going, I know he's going to reappear somewhere. And it's like, if you're like me, you hate these movies because you, even though you know that it's coming and he's either going to be an arm that comes up from a bath or a door's going to swing open or he'll appear in the darkest of night and you just know that he's not quite done yet. Anybody know that? Yeah, horrible. <laughs> I got bad news for you. The enemies won't give up even if you finish. Because the battle will rage against you keeping what you have attained. Also in those days, verse 17, the nobles of Judah were sending many letters to Tobiah. And replies from Tobiah kept coming to them. For many in Judah were under oath to him, since he was son-in-law to Shechaniah, son of Ara, and his son Jehoahan had married the daughter of Meshulam, son of Bekiah. Hmm. Moreover, they kept reporting to me his good deeds and then kept telling him what I said. And Tobiah sent letters to intimidate me. After the wall had been rebuilt and I had set the doors in place, the gatekeepers, the musicians, the Levites were appointed. I put in charge of Jerusalem, my brother, Hananiah, along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel, because he was a man of integrity and feared God more than most people do. As we finish, I want you to bear in mind that leadership is costly and that attacks are relentless And it often attacks on leadership by stealth, where others are completely unaware of the attack that is going on. You know, the guy everyone likes, well-connected, he had the ears and the loyalty of many of the nobles, and that created trouble. Nehemiah had an enemy in the camp, his name was Tobiah. Do you know what Tobiah's name means? Pleasing to God. You know, when people are telling you how pleasing to God or maybe just pleasing to your boss, your enemy is, and then when they report back to your enemy what you said and the enemy sends you intimidating letters, that's pressure. That's relentless. That's intimidation pressure. Every word would feel pressurized, every action scrutinized, every decision second-guessed. You know what? Nehemiah didn't change his game plan. 
He kept going. He kept going. When leadership gets personal, keep going. Nehemiah didn't battle to buy. He trusted God and he appointed people with integrity who feared God. And therein is the summation of how you do this fight. You fight with integrity and you fear God. Integrity, your character will shine. Fear God, you put him first. You put him first in all things and you keep him at the center and the front of your vision. You know, when leadership gets personal, it will destroy you. Stay on track. When leadership gets personal, it seeks to disqualify you. So strengthen my hands, Lord, I give it to you. When leadership gets personal, there will be people trying to discredit you. So discern what is true. And when leadership gets personal, there is intimidation. Finish the call. Finish the call. Let me close in this way. I think that this rings true for so many of us in many different ways. And my desire would be that we in this moment would allow the Holy Spirit to strengthen us and to minister to us. I'm just going to go through a list of things which God's put on my heart and I'm going to invite you before I read these just to simply bow your heads. And as I read them, if you know that's you, would you come and would you stand as you stand down the front here, I'm going to get Simon and Jenny and Sarah to come and we would just love to pray over you and pray that you would know the strength of God and pray that you would know the full resources of God to fight the fight that God has called you to and not get distracted. So would you bow your heads with me? Maybe for you this morning, you know you need to stay on track. And maybe that is a, you've been tempted and you've gone to the plane of Ono. Maybe for you it is just, you're fighting the wrong fight. Would you come and would you stand and say, that's me, I'm going to, Lord, I'm just recommitting myself, I'm going to stay on track. Maybe for you, Lord, I need, I need my hand strengthened. I'm just sensing the fight. I, I just, I'm weak. I'm, I'm at the end of my rope. Lord, would you help me? Maybe for you it's discernment. You, it's that sense of, I don't even know what's quite true. And discernment is working out what is absolutely true. Would you come? Would you say, Lord, here I am. Maybe for you it's simply a matter of, Lord, I'm going to finish this. You've just called me. I'm going to finish it. Maybe for you it is intimidation. And the weight and the cost of leadership is heavy on you at the moment. And you're sensing intimidation. If those or others relate to you, would you right now just get out of your seat? Just come and stand down the front and we would love just to pray God's power and God's anointing over you. You know, for others, don't don't be intimidated to not come forward. You realise that 
in those moments where you're feeling most vulnerable, the most the strongest thing you can do is blow the trumpet. That's the actually core. Anybody else can get Simon and Jenny just to come and pray? Is there anybody else right now who just wants to stand before the Lord of all and say, God, I need you. God, I need you. Would you come and pray?